0: Good morning to each of you. Uh Laverne's story. Um pretty soon the story, I began to have feelings in the pit of my stomach. Uh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I was sitting there trying to analyze what was my feeling. And uh, I run a sawmill and I pulled a stick and I have uh, sharpened the saw and used it, and all of this stuff and and I knew pretty soon into that story that this is not gonna have a good ending and I felt uh, I think so now I'm I'm commenting about that because it relates to my sermon and uh, there was a time in my life when I—I I don't think I was really very aware of what I was feeling about anything, and um, the fact that that you don't know what you're feeling, or you don't really know what you're thinking, or what you believe in, does not keep you from doing things you shouldn't do. The fact that you don't know, because. Our conduct, our behavior comes from somewhere inside us. So, this morning, uh, I'll admit that I I had somewhat of a difficulty to decide what i would talk about. And I want to talk about how a disciple of Christ grows. How how we grow into becoming, how we become a more mature disciple of Christ. And uh, the term that's used for this often is progressive sanctification. So that, that's what I'm talking about. And I also would admit that it feels really challenging for me to do this because uh, I have taught this kind of subject uh, in classes in sometimes 10 hours and sometimes 20 or 30. I don't even remember how long they were. And so... I'm trying to summarize a lot of things this morning and trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out what to say, how to keep you with me, because it's summarized, but then it's someone's detailed. So, um, okay, what I'm saying is, I'm going to try to do my part, and I want you to try to do your part. Okay? By progressive sanctification, I mean that a believer is becoming progressively separated from sin and more dedicated to righteousness. The result being that the believer becomes progressively free from the power and practice of sin. That's what I mean by progressive sanctification. And I believe all of us are familiar with Enough with temptation and, and a failure, failure to live the way um, we know we should. To agree that there, there is generally a huge gap between the way we live or people we observe live and the way the Bible promises that believers can There is a lot. There is a huge gap between these. Uh, this is all introductory. I also want to say that I believe that most believers and most uh, doctrines or theologies of sanctification aren't. They are are too weak to result in, to produce the kind of transformation of attitudes and behavior that the Bible talks about. And I'm going to give you examples of inadequate theologies. Uh, Although... Luther and Calvin who are major fathers of branches of Christianity. Although they talk about Christ and the Holy Spirit's presence, they focus on primarily a lot on what's called the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to the believer, to the sinner, when he's converted. And that was presented as the basis for righteousness and getting to heaven. Which left people with the idea that growth in personal righteousness, growth in upright behavior and attitudes, it was a good thing, but not essential. In order to be a disciple of Christ. And I'm summarizing all of this, obviously. John Wesley represents uh, an attempt to correct the weakness of Lutheranism and Calvinism, the Reformed tradition. And he offered some helpful, what I would call, methods for spiritual growth. And I don't know if you know this, but one of his methods was, and it was a good one, But it it was uh, to have believers meet together in small groups. And I didn't bring it with me, but I have a list at home of questions that they were supposed to ask each other in these groups. Good questions. But his understanding of progressive sanctification was hindered by... His view that a person could or should have a crisis experience at conversion that would lead to sinless perfection, which he claims for himself that he had experience of which Uh, most people would say is not a biblical understanding of conversion, that it results in sinless perfection, it's not a uh, biblical understanding understanding of uh, sanctification, progressive sanctification. And so my summary here is that a lot of discipleship training uh, that people promote comes down to learning Bible verses or learning what it is uh, that's right or true or good and uh, then developing the right Beliefs and attitudes and trying harder to do the right thing. And uh, all of that, maybe each of those in their place is okay and helpful. Um, even sometimes what's called accountability falls into this category, but it doesn't, these things don't necessarily address the deeper skin inside of people. So, I want to try to talk about those things. So this morning, I'm going going to try to do the following things. I'm trying to help you here follow them to it, okay? First of all, I want to briefly mention some common false assumptions that hinder growth. I'm going to briefly summarize the marks of the disciple of Christ, then I'm going to talk about how a disciple of Christ grows into a more mature disciple. And I'm going to limit what I say to three areas. Addressing sinful behavior, addressing heart attitudes, and addressing untrue beliefs of the heart and mind. So, first of all, common false assumptions. That tend to grow. Uh, some of these might be partially true, or true sometimes, and some of them are completely false. But they are things I've heard people say, things that are commonly said, thoughtlessly perhaps. The belief that you need to, all you need all you need to do is go to church, read your Bible, and pray. All of those three things are good things, but that's not all you need. The belief that all you need to do is try hard. The belief that all you need to do is repent of the sin in your life, and that will take care of everything. The idea that you are going too much on your feelings, just feel be obedient. Although I'm going to say most people go too much on their feelings, So that's not the whole answer. The idea that if you would have had a radical enough crisis experience in conversion, you would have been delivered from your sinful habits. Hmm. I have many thoughts. Although it's true that some people make radical changes at conversion. But the idea that what you lack is baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now that, that idea connected to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit.
1: And my understanding of Scripture is that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion, and we
0: receive many fillings after conversion, and it's not the same thing, although you're baptized and feel at conversion. The idea that you will have you will behave right if you believe the right things. All you have to do is believe the right things. Okay, there's difficulties with that. If I firmly believe, we do need to believe the right things, but so that's not all that we need. The idea that people will change if you make them feel guilty enough or ashamed enough. And that's not true. The idea that all change requires is to decide to do something and then you can do it. Uh, That's that's not true. I I might make more comments about that later. Okay, hurry on. Okay, Mark was the Disciple of Christ. I have four marks. Uh, The first one I have is from John 3, and it's uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus, he must be born again, as the King James term, which means literally you must be born from above, and this is a work uh, of the Holy Spirit, and it's a mysterious work. So... The first mark I have is being born from above. Conversion. A mark of a believer. The person has been born again and is trusting Jesus as Savior. And Lord. It's trusting that Jesus bore my sins to the cross. That Jesus bore everything that is wrong with to the cross, and that my salvation depends on Jesus. So that's one mark of a belief born again. I just say this, I know people who believe that Jesus died to them, but they don't actually believe that he can save them, deliver them from their sinful habits. And they have a hard time believing that he forgives them when they sin. So this is a mark. This is, a, this is a, um, the gift that God gives us in Jesus. Okay, the second mark I have. Uh, there's many places in the scripture that talk about this subject and I have John 15 here. So the second mark is the person is growing in a deeper, more authentic, interactive relationship with Christ. Because being a believer, a Christian, is not just about believing certain doctrines. It's also about Being in a relationship with Christ in which his life becomes my life, and I'm relating to him, talking to him, listening to him, uh, being nourished. I'm I'm in the vine, and I'm being nourished by his life. Uh, Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, describes this kind of relationship as being changed into the image or character of Christ by, um, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And Luke 24, the uh, account of the two walking with Jesus to Emmaus, the resurrected Jesus, Uh, Jesus drew near and walked with them and it's just their hearts burned within them as they have a conversation. And they somehow knew this was a special person and something special was going on but they didn't know who it was. So this, this is about a deeper, interactive relationship with Christ. And... Uh, I would say I I know people who really want a deeper relationship with Christ, you too, who struggle to have that. And there are, in my judgment, there are reasons for this. And it can change, but people often don't understand what is going on. Uh, The third mark I have is from Ephesians 4. And uh, this one is learning what is true and righteous and best based on scripture. This is a mark of believer. They are learning what is true, righteous, and good or best based on the scripture, based on the witness of the Holy Spirit, based on the input of righteous people in their life, and the result of this, according to Ephesians 4, is that they are growing towards spiritual and emotional maturity and they are becoming more productive in the kingdom of God. This is a mark of a believer. So, don't know, maybe I should just read here. I'm reading from, I believe this is the New American Standard. Um, Beginning in verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He left a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. And he gave some. I'm skipping a few verses. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, or pastors to teach. Purpose for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature person, man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And I feel like I need to interrupt myself and say that this is a lifetime process and there's not a single believer who is perfectly, perfectly, altogether mature in this life. I'm sorry, but in order to become perfectly mature, you'll have to die. <clears throat> you'll have to die and go to heaven, but that doesn't mean that we can't be in the process of this, and, and it's also true that any growth toward maturity that you and I may will be because we have died to something. Like As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there to and fro, is the King James, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay, so what that's saying is that this. Speaking the truth and love, the teaching program of the gifted people God has given to the church, but everyone is gifted too. The teaching that is happening by gifted men and the speaking to one another truth and love um, produces unity. And it builds up the body, which likewise results in further spiritual growth. I don't know, something like this. Okay, then then Paul goes on to talk about uh, the putting off and the putting on, and the putting off of of. Of sinful attitudes and behaviors, and putting on of righteous ones. This is all a conversation in Ephesians four of of um, what's involved in spiritual growth toward maturity. So, in the first part of Ephesians four, verses seven, to eight, and eleven, and so on, the Holy Spirit it says the Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers and give gifted people to the church for the purpose of people growing up. And the result of their growing up is that they will become more and more productive in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God. And then, uh, verses 12 and following... um, purpose of this, the opinions of perfecting, maturing of believers and the result of this maturing of believers, so they will be able to do the work of serving. Be able to edify the body. Come to unity of faith. Grow knowledge in knowledge of the Son of God. Grow to maturity according to the standard of Christ. And develop stability of belief. Grow into the likeness of Christ. Become stable. And not blown about by every idea, every wind of doctrine. And they'll know what is true. And they'll not be deceived by lies. And they will speak the truth and love. I mean, that almost, um, I'm sorry, but I listen to myself here. And that almost overwhelms me All of that. Like, hmm, I better get out of the stick here. You know, this is a lot of, okay. Okay, Mr. relax. Okay, um, <clears throat> all of that is the call, but uh, this is the process. And then in Ephesians 17-32, is a summary of what we put off and what we put on. And so the question is, uh, how does a person become the kind of believer that the Bible talks about? that a disciple of Christ is. Um, so the things I'm going to say uh, here on apply to all of these marks of the disciple of Christ. To uh, trusting against the Savior, to growing in a deeper relationship with Christ, to learning what is true, to putting off evil and putting on good. Now a disciple like of Christ grows. I'm going to start with uh, the uh, external or the most surface or the most obvious or sort the of thing that you see first about us. All of us. Okay. And that is uh, the first one I have is uh, growth towards spiritual maturity
1: requires identifying sinful behavior. The first thing we see in people
0: is sinful behavior, the way they act. And the difficulty with this is that you can maybe uh, get people to stop the sinful behavior for a time, but if you don't help them beyond that, they will be back to the sinful behavior. That doesn't mean sinful behavior doesn't matter. It does matter. So Ephesians 4 identifies a number of sinful behaviors: Uh, sins committed out of anger, stealing, corrupt communication, and the dimensions lying and evil speaking, and sexual sins. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list of sinful behavior. So, although these sinful behaviors are sins and need to be repented of, it's almost impossible to resolve sinful behavior habits by treating them, these sins, behavior sins, as, as the root sin. If we treat them as the root sin, or try to instruct people out of these behaviors by just telling them to stop. Um, It doesn't result in lasting change. So lasting change in our sinful behavior habits requires change in our attitudes and in our hearts. So that's the next one I have. The gross towards gross maturity requires addressing heart attitudes. Not only behavior, but heart attitudes and uh, deeper heart conditions. And so I'm going to mention some of these heart attitudes and deeper heart conditions. Um, uh, the first thing I want to say is that I found that uh, people and I know a good many people and I'm not talking about people in this community here. I know a good many people who practice sexual habits such as watching porn and things like reacting angrily and defensively to others lying these kinds of behavior you know. and, uh, and often these, what I find is that these are the result of what they are feeling their heart attitudes, feelings like fear, anxiety, powerlessness, guilt, shame, the feeling of, I don't belong to anybody, nobody cares about me. These kinds of feelings. And I want to say that Christ can redeem. In sinful attitudes and behaviors. Christ can redeem these things. But what I often find, often, is that people aren't really aware of having these attitudes, have these feelings. Okay? They just know for some reason they watch porn. And they can't figure out why. Well, there are reasons. There are reasons. They didn't just wake up one morning and decide to do this. There's a reason. There's, there's something behind it. So I want to mention a few of these heart attitudes. Uh, the first one I have is lack of trust. Mm. And there's probably not a single person in this room who trusted to much as they could or maybe should, whether it's Christ or, or other people. So the lack of trust is, I believe, it's often associated with, connected to, fear and anger. Uh, when we're fear and anger, and then you have this thing of an independent spirit, and all of this looks like, for many people, it looks like stubbornness or rebellion, and it's it's a uh, real problem, and it's a huge challenge, and and people who struggle to trust, I think what it feels like to them is they can't really do anything to get this changed. They feel stuck in it. And by the way, uh, our lack of trust uh, isn't just a result of bad things that happen to us. Sometimes people develop lack of trust when things go really well. Because it feels like they don't really need to trust God, it's all working. mean, that's Israel, actually. That's what happened to Israel when things went well. And God actually warned them about this. Don't forget me when things go well. So it's not not just when bad things happen that we lose trust. Sometimes it's when things go well. So I want to say a few things about how lack of trust can change, how trust can be increased. And this might come sound a little strange, but trust can be increased by repenting of trusting in fear. That's not the whole issue, but that's one issue. Repenting of trusting in fear. Repenting of trusting in my anger. Repenting of trusting in strategies that uh, are the result of lack of trust. In other words, as long as you don't confront the fear and the anger, you don't have any reason to grow in trust. You can just keep on living this way. And the truth is that that, uh, Trusting in fear, anger, and these sinful behaviors we have is a substitute for trusting Jesus. That's the fact. <clears throat> I'm being very abbreviated here and I'm being very forthright. I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm just trying to say some things. Okay? Lack of trust. Okay? The next one I have is lack of love. Lack of love. And again, probably nobody here loves God or others as much as they could or should. Lack of love is often connected to pride, feeling better than other people, uh, ungratefulness, uh, having a no critical spirit. Uh, having a demanding spirit. Oh, these are other things. They con- they're connected to lack of love. Jealousy uh, know, comes to mind. That's one too, fits um, And often people who lack love for others, they, they want someone or something to fill their internal void but when they receive something they want, they often can't accept it. Now, I said that, but, uh, right now I don't know what to say about it. But I know it's true. And uh, people who lack love for others, they have behaviors that express it. Or they... Uh, the communication expresses it in their, their way of relating to people and uh, controlling people and putting people down and all, all of these things. And so, love can be increased. And this is very really summarized that it can be increased by repenting of lack of love. Repenting of pride, repenting of being ungrateful, uh, repenting of not receiving love when it's given. Uh, Repenting of demanding that people love me the way I want to be loved. uh, It can be, love can be increased by taking the risk of yielding to a deeper relationship with Christ, a love relationship with Him. Experiencing deeper love with Christ. And for some people, that's a hard thing to do. I must go on. The next one I have is guilt. The heart attitude of guilt. The feeling of guilt. Okay, probably everyone here has felt guilt, and maybe some of you feel guilt right now. Alright, the feeling of guilt, according to Scripture, is the result of what people do. When we do things that we know is not right, we feel guilt. do not feel good. It can result in a fairly high level of anxiety and fear. But the problem is that the feelings of guilt may want to make a person stop doing things that make them feel guilty feelings of guilt seldom have the power to change a person's behavior, the feeling of guilt by itself does not have within it the power to change a person. That's the problem. So guilt is reduced by confessing and repenting of sins. And of course, Sometimes takes more than just confessing sin. It takes some other things that I'm going to talk about. (laughs) Okay, the next part that it takes through in my head is shame. I'm I'm trying to mention here things that are fairly common and prominent and huge for people. Shame. Now the problem with guilt and shame is that I think they pretty much feel the same to people. And sometimes people feel guilt. They think it's guilt, but it's shame. Or they feel shame and really it's guilt. Alright? Shame. Shame is the result of who people think they are. Who people perceive themselves to be. I'll try to explain. Uh, Some shame is produced by the sins we commit. It's the shame that I'm the kind of person who commits sins. That's who I am, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of myself. Okay? Who I am. Lives this way, just these things. Okay, so you can reduce that kind of shame by confessing the sins and stop sinning. Okay, and then you won't feel shame for being that kind of person because those kinds of things. But then there's another kind of shame which is the result of being committed against us. Am I so strange? But well, this is the kind of shame that says, you are the kind of person who deserves to be rejected and abused and hollered at and put down and demeaned and shame. You deserve it. That's who you are. You're all. You're a worthless sort of person and you deserve this kind of treatment. Okay? Something comes from that. And I'll just say this, that there is an awful lot, there's an awful lot of conversation going on in our country today that around shaming people for various things. <clears throat> I don't know what more to say about that right now. Now the problem with the shame that comes from being rejected in abused the, the problem is that it cannot be changed by repentance Shame they feel for being treated this way. Uh, This kind of shame, I think is reduced by understanding what is true about who I am and it has to be related to who Jesus says I am or who God says I am. The value he places on me has to be stronger lies that people or the devil tell us about who we are. I don't know if that makes sense or not. So this kind of shame is reduced by learning what is true in relation to the Bible and the Holy Spirit and Christ to say about who we are. It's kind of the is as we did by embracing our belonging with Christ and other people. And this is one. He um, mentioned in church life is, is um, how we relate to each other and how we speak to each other and the value we place on each other. And probably most of us have been guilty, I have, of uh, saying and doing things that, that uh, reduce, I think it would have the potential to reduce a person's value a person places on themselves based on how we relate to each other and the kinds of things we say to each other. Again, I'm not talking in code, but I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. We just need to be thoughtful about about how we speak to one another and relate to each other and and okay. And be thoughtful about what is in our heart toward each other. Okay, because the issue is more than just what we say. It's our attitude toward people. right? The next one I want to talk about, attitudes of the heart, is the feeling of alienation or lack of belonging. And I am not sure if it might have been maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but not so this means I was middle aged, whatever that is. I'm over middle aged now, Leon, we are. I, I was old before I realized that belonging was an issue belonging. And I'm here to say that belonging is a huge issue in the Christian life. And it's a huge issue in families. Because any child that feels like they don't belong, uh, they are going to do things that are not good. So lack of belonging, the feeling like I don't belong, it's produced by the same things that produce guilt and shame. That is, lack feelings of I don't belong are, the, are often the result of sins people commit that kind of alienate them from God or other people. Or... It's things they've done that they feel ashamed of or it's things other people have done to them that convince them that I don't belong here. They don't like me. Okay? Lack of belonging. And this, this is really lack of the changing involves, as I've said before, with uh, saying, it, it involves in, increasing my understanding of what Jesus thinks about me. It involves things like repenting the sins up from it. It involves developing a deeper uh, relationship with people around me. Christ the Savior and Lord in a deeper way on a daily basis. And that can be very hard. Now, ultimately, it in, it, belonging involves um, believing that I belong to Jesus Christ and to the people around me. And I'm just saying that uh, this, this issue... Often, feelings of inadequacy. I'm talking about inadequacy now. People feel like they don't have what it takes. These feelings say that I can't do anything right. I don't have what it takes. I'm not enough, good enough, smart enough, strong enough. Mm. Yes. Some of us get older, and uh, those kinds of things are more real to us. plays into this, I don't belong, and I've uh, being entertained about it's, a, it's these things are rooted in these kind of thoughts and feelings of inadequacy and I don't belong, they are rooted in generally in um, thoughts and feelings and it feels true to me beliefs that tell us these things. It feels true to me enough, it feels, it feels trigger. Okay, so i want to talk about that one. Alright? So I'm going to the third category of growth. Growth towards spiritual maturity requires addressing untrue beliefs of the mind and heart. <clears throat> and I'm noticing the top So let me say first that there are two kinds of beliefs. There are beliefs of the mind, that's one. And then there are beliefs of the heart, and that's the second. And they are not the same. Beliefs of the mind, or whatever we would claim to believe based on what we claim to be true or right, what we think the Bible teaches, and people can know a lot of things in their heads that they say is the truth. That's good. It's good. <clears throat> I'm not knocking that. But that's belief of the mind. And uh, something like this, as many of these, especially for the belief that God loves me because the Bible says so. Okay? Beliefs of the heart, on the other hand, are what I would call what feels to me. And uh, I'm really sorry, but I know people who tell me things like, God loves me. And then uh, in the next two or sentences they will say, just true to me, God does not love me. Okay? Both of these things are going on inside of them. And uh, the sad sort of thing is that often the way people live, behaviors they have, are the result of uh, actions taken, decisions made out of these, if there's to me, beliefs that aren't true, okay? Um, many people, probably all people, hold contradictory beliefs that I'm talking about. Between the mind and the heart, and most of us here have a few of our own. <clears throat> it's very common. Um, I'll, I'll give you—I'll give you one. I've, I've heard this this one. It feels to me that I am justified in looking at porn because I deserve to feel good. And right now I feel empty and restless. Or I've heard this one a few times because I'm justified looking at porn because my wife is not treating me right. That's an it feels true to me belief. And I'll just say those kind of beliefs almost always result in bad behavior. I want to say behind many sinful heart attitudes and actions like untrue ideas and beliefs of the heart. Well, the mind too. We believe things that aren't true. We believe the untrue beliefs of the mind uh, change. The basis for change of untrue beliefs in our mind is the scriptures. What does the Bible say is true about this? It's, it's the truth uh, in the well, we start with this, the truth um, embodied, I'll use that term, embodied in the person, life, and teaching of Christ and the New Testament. That is what is a standard for what's true. I'll, I'll give an example of an untrue one. Um, I've had people tell me this that uh, time a person is sick, it's the result of God's judgment. Okay, that, that is an untrue belief. It is not spiritual. I mean, we could have a long conversation about that, and there's nuances, okay, to that statement. It might even be yes or no's, but just as it is, it's not true that everybody that's sick gets the result of this judgment. I'm true, it feels true to me, beliefs. It feels true. I'm not talking about mind beliefs now. I'm talking about heart beliefs. It feels true to me. Or it's especially different. devil says to us in these difficult times. They've become the acute, the acute beliefs often are acted out of in ways that you have ingrained habits, grow up around them. Habits. Habits are hard to change. And another reason they're hard to change is that we are very much attached to these beliefs that aren't true because they seem to work for us. They're familiar. They're safe. That might all sound crazy, to you, but that is true. Um, I'll give you a few if true to me that so people have. God does not care about me. God is withholding things I deserve from me. That was easy. That was ease. It feels true to me. It's what the devil told me. God is withholding good things from you that you deserve. And you'll know more whatever. No one cares about me. Evil is more powerful than good. All of these are it feels true to me. I will never be loved the way I need to be. If you really knew me, you could not like me. I am a horrible person. I've had people tell me that. Or, I am a failure. I'm a mistake. I've heard that one too. I'm an embarrassment. I'm a hopeless case. I'm sorry I've heard all of these. My problems are bigger than anyone else's. I have survived more than most people can handle. I'm sorry, but you know, in that one, I could almost be proud of how terrible I'm doing. Always know what is going on in your room and what people feel for me when I walk into a room. That's it feels true to me, and people who believe that <clears throat> it's not true. It's not true that you can read people's minds. Uh well, the one, it feels true I don't need people. Yeah, well, I got hurt the last 15 times when I tried to relate to somebody. Every friend I get, somehow it doesn't work. Okay, I'm just saying all of these things, we have many of these, many people have some of these, and we don't even think about it. Now the last thing I want to talk about is, um, before my son, is vows and commitments to these untrue beliefs, whether of the mind or the heart. Our vows and commitments to them. And that might shock you know, You might be thinking, I don't have any vow or commitment to this thing that I believe that really is wrong, but the truth is, we are committed to that. Um, one way you find out if you are is, I've uh, asked people already if they'd be willing to give up, if they'd be willing to. true beliefs they have. And uh, the answer they get is, uh, I don't think I'm ready to do that. Okay, well then we have more work to do. Alright? So vows they're committed to. It. Vows and commitments include any idea, any issue to me, belief, or purpose to which a person is committed Firmly committed, okay? And some vows are positive and some are negative. And I'll give an example of each. Wrong vows, I'll never let anyone hurt me again. That's a vow. I will not allow myself to feel. I've had people tell me that. Good vows might be, I will follow Christ. I will suffer to do what's right. Those are vows people have too, the good vows. Okay? So, the question here is how do we how do we make those bad vows? Uh, and like a lot of things in life, the first step is to identify, be able to identify that I have this vow. I'm really committed to aware of it and acknowledge it, confess it to Christ, to God, and uh, to repent of it, uh, which requires renouncing it and asking God to deliver you from. It. Um, I'm going to say from your dependence on this vow. People depend on those vows for safety so they can feel so they can never let anybody be a friend to me anymore because these kinds of things, by asking Christ to show you what you should commit yourself to, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Look in the Bible. What are good commitments? And by uh, committing, consciously committing yourself in prayer to what is right, what you know Christ wants, what the Bible says, Right, right to believe, right, right to do. Okay, so we've looked briefly at some false assumptions that hinder growth and the marks of the disciple of Christ, and one of them uh, is the the process of growing in spiritual maturity. We've looked at three areas growth towards spiritual maturity. I'm I'm a mature disciple, and that is dealing with sinful behavior, dealing with sinful heart attitudes, and uh, dealing with untrue beliefs of the mind and heart and vows. The change requires scripture and truth. That's, that is a biblical reality. People cannot learn to obey unless they are learning truth from God's Word. We, we can't learn to do the right thing in a vacuum. Uh, number thing I want to say: change requires being completely honest with ourselves. And learning to identify and acknowledge our sinful behavior and any any sinful attitudes we have and any false, it is humanly beliefs uh, that contribute to sinful attitudes and behavior, it's impossible to make progress in Growing up, if we aren't honest with ourselves. And the unfortunate thing is for many people that <clears throat> we can be so sensitive, so terribly sensitive if somebody mentions to us that we. Seems like we're struggling with lying or something else. And We can be so sensitive when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we just can't make any progress because we can't we can't honestly face the thing. <clears throat> I'm not uh, I'm not trying to uh, get after people or. People about this, but it's just that honesty. Honesty. I that I say change requires the repenting of one's addiction to doing whatever makes me feel good. The addiction to feeling good. It's, it's hard hard to change if the primary goal in our life is to feel it. It, it keeps people from uh, surrendering to Jesus, dying to sin, the Romans 6, die to sin and rise with Christ, die with Christ to sin and rise with Christ to righteousness. I mean, that's what's taught there. it it makes that very, very difficult if the primary goal we have is to feel good. And anybody, anybody who looks at the news at all knows that this is part of what's going on in our world today is people are addicted to feeling good. Another thing I would say is that change requires more than a strong will more than a strong will. Okay, so now I feel like I need to say, but we can't change if we don't choose to change. But the choice, the first choice we need to make is to surrender our sinful attitudes and thoughts and behaviors real goods, and it, it feels truly new things, to surrender these to Jesus and let him work in our heart, to choose to surrender these things to Jesus and let him work in our heart in places that we can't directly change. By themselves, control themselves without sin. Okay? You can't. <laughs> you can't. that's kind of love. You can't. Because Jesus has to work. The Holy Spirit has to work. And so we can't just do this alone. learning to surrender everything that's wrong everything we want to be different is to render this to God I have uh, three more items Uh, change requires private and public worship and for some people that's very hard This is a primary worship. is a primary place. That's uh, what 2 Corinthians 3.18 is about beholding the face of Christ. Worship is a primary place where God changes us. Uh, some people need more than private or public worship, some people need help with deep, deeper issues. Things like I've talked about this morning. That's hard for people to sort through, understand, repent of themselves.
1: Believers can
0: become more mature, uh, but only if they intend to, and only if they understand what needs to be repented of, and only if they surrender to God in these things, I will stop. Uh, thrown off the big pitchforks, for perhaps. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us and give us understanding and the work in each of our hearts to bring about redemption, repentance, understanding, uh, more growth. us and give us assurance of belonging to you and within that belonging relationship I pray that you would work to grow us up. I pray you would bless each one here with your presence and the work of your spirit and and growth and I pray that you would work to accomplish your good purposes and thank you,
1: amen.